welcome back to Podcastles. You are listening to me, Georgia, and my sister, Nikita. Hi, everyone. And we are going through all the counties of England and reviewing all the different castles. We're taking a month for each county, different episodes. Some will have whole episodes dedicated to big castles. Some will be about themes. Some will be about uh, compilations of little castles. But we're currently on Warwickshire. So if you missed last week, what are you doing? Go and catch up. But we did Warwick Castle. This week, Georgia, we are looking at Kenilworth. Which is my favourite castle. I was about to say that's your favourite castle. Honestly, it is the most beautiful castle. Should we jump straight into the chronology? Yes, we should. Okay, so there are three main parts um, in the centre of the Kenilworth property left over from the main structure. I didn't really think about this um, when I was going around, but in my research I realised, of course, those three buildings would have all been connected as one massive sort of castle palace styled thing. But you can see three clearly distinctive castles like... They're not that some of them are ruinous, some of them are still rather in one piece, but basically uh, they represent these different periods because the architects clearly wanted them all to match, but you can really obviously see which one was built in which period. Is it a bit like when I was a kid and tried to replicate Monet's painting of the river and it just didn't work? I think they did a bit better than that. <laughs> I don't, I'm not gonna lie. I really um, wish it wasn't still up on the fridge. I'm going to put a picture of it on the blog. (laughs) So the first building was put up by the Normans, mainly by a guy called Geoffrey de Clinton. Uh, It was a Norman keep, which is a defensive powerhouse. It was built three stories high with walls that were 14 feet wide and uh, it's still very much a dominant part of the castle today. Basically, Geoffrey gets it in about 1120 when he's given it by Henry I, who wants to counter the influence of the Earl of Warwick, which was a castle very close by to Kenilworth. Um, we talked a lot last week about the power of the nobility in this period, and it's getting a bit out of control. So this was one of the ways that the king tried to sort of counter that and bring it back into check. Um Geoffrey did a lot of the building that we see as part of the Norman keep, but within uh, just one generation, the castle is back in royal control uh, because Henry II, when he comes to power, ends up garrisoning it uh, against his rebellious son in 1173. So after that, it then passes to... Well, it goes to Richard I, doesn't it? Because obviously Henry II dies goes to Richard, but I don't think Richard I really does anything with it. So then it's John, King John, the terrible king, is the next one along, the the, the weak, weedy lion in, in Robin Hood. I love that that's how you still imagine history. That is honestly how I see. When I think King John, I see him sucking his thumb as a lion. That is honestly how I see King John. If you haven't seen Disney's Robin Hood... You probably now need to watch it. You now need to watch that. Probably. He spent a lot of money strengthening Kenilworth, but also uh, improving some of its domestic accommodation. And, yeah, we see a lot of benefits and changes to the castle. Sorry. John had benefits. I know, ridiculous. But we do see a lot of changes under his rule. Um, He gives up the castle because of the Magna Carta, basically. So there's a massive baron uprising because John is um, the worst. Yeah, Yeah, he's not good. So he has to give up Kenilworth because of that. But it gets back to royal control quite quickly 
under his son, Henry III, who then gives it to his brother-in-law, Simon de Montfort. Hello. (laughs) Simon de Montfort. But this isn't necessarily all happy between Henry and his nobility. He had a lot of problems like John. And when there's a barons and nobility uprising, the person very much at the head of it is Simon. Um, Not very grateful for the castle, clearly. And there's a lot of battles. We're not going to go too much into it. He apparently, at one point, holds the king for 15 months. Um... And basically, even after Montfort dies, um, his supporters continue to fight afterwards. And the main problem Henry has in dealing with these uprisings is that the rebels have Kenilworth Castle, which is Ooh. a massive strong point. Yeah. There's a very famous siege that comes in 1266 where the king besieges the castle for six months, which is the longest proper siege we see in England. And Henry III, with his sons Edward, who becomes Edward I, and Edmund, they eventually win this war that is called the Second Barons' Revolt. And the castle gets given to Edmund, who then manages to keep this castle in his part of the family, if you like, for a century. Very little to be said about his brother Edward's reign with Kenilworth. There's nothing super exciting to talk, to report. Mm-hmm. But under Edward II, lots of interesting information, juicy gossip, as you like to say. Is it the tea? That we will get to in a little bit. Awesome. So stay tuned. <laughs> Amazing. Now, the next part of the timeline that I really want to zoom in on is the gaunt ownership, as I say, stays with the descendants of Edmund for a century. But we're now looking at the 1340s sort of thing. John of Gaunt, son of Edward III. Hello, this is juicy. So we've we've got away now. Yeah. Yes, now it's juicy because the Gaunts, yeah. anyone who's a big fan of the Wars of the Roses yep. will know that the Henrys, basically, you've got like Henry the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth, and basically Henry the Seventh, get their claim to the throne through the Gaunt line. So that's where we are right now, yeah? The Gaunts do a rebuild. They uh, add a new building to Kenilworth Castle. The Great Hall that was put up by John of Gaunt was one of the finest known, and it was like cutting edge. So the architecture, the windows, everything, they were like very, very modern in the medieval time, um, it's considered one of the most ambitious campaigns of building to happen in this period. They wanted to reinforce Kenilworth both as like its wealth as like a host to medieval monarchs and as a base for um, kings to come, but also um, as like a military stronghold. The works took two decades to complete. They created the Great Hall, as I've said. Loads of apartments, new service uh, quarters and kitchens. He also added a garden and a bridge to the park, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Gaunt's son is Henry IV. That's the that's the line. That's how close the yeah. line is there. And in that's that's when Kenilworth comes back to the crown estates because the king owns it mm. when Henry becomes king. Yeah. And if anybody's uh, into their Shakespeare, it's that's that's Henry Bolingbroke. If you watch or read Richard II, Gaunt owns it during Richard's period, and then when his son takes the crown from Richard II, 
because it's in his family. Yeah, that's where it goes. That's yeah. when it becomes back into a crown land. It then remains part of the crown estates for 150 years, so it does quite well. Throughout the 15th century, it's actually a really popular location for the Lancastrian kings. Um, so that's the Henrys, as I say. They enjoyed it particularly because there was great hunting. Henry V creates a moated pavilion known as the Pleasance, and it then continues for the next few hundred years after all of this construction. Very little needs to be done to the castle. There's very little like repair and stuff because it's just... It's just great. They do a good job. Yeah, they did. It's a nice-looking nice, it's a nice looking building. We're not going to talk too much about the Wars of the Roses now. The wife of Henry VI, Margaret of Anjou, uses Kenilworth as the military base during the Wars of the Roses. She runs up to the Midlands because that is actually... Coventry is the second city to London, really, in this period. It's a very big deal, and so it makes a lot of sense to take... Henry to Coventry when London is no longer safe. The castle is still in royal control in the 15th and 16th centuries. A lot of the castles in royal control in this period actually decay a lot. We talked about that at Warwick last week, but not Kenilworth Castle. No, no, no. This is one of the big exceptions. The Tudor kings continue to treat this castle with a huge amount of respect. Henry VII builds tennis court. Um, Random fact. Henry VIII dismantles a banqueting house on the Pleasance and rebuilds it within the castle. John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland. Now, Edward VI, the son of Henry VIII, he is a child when he comes to the throne and when he dies, unfortunately. So John Dudley, who is the Duke of Northumberland, is his regent for a lot of the later years of Edward's reign. And he is actually given Kenilworth in 1553, And he has a load of stables built and lots of things like that done to the castle. But he's executed. So, unfortunate. We're then going to skip to Elizabeth. There's not much to say during Mary's reign. No. But Elizabeth. But Elizabeth, there is a lot of history related to Kenilworth Castle and Elizabeth. Because in 1563, she gives the castle to her childhood best friend, possibly childhood sweetheart Robert Dudley who is John Dudley's son Mm -hmm. Um, and he becomes the Earl of Leicester later on she visits tons basically there's a lot of we'll talk about this more in the ghosts and skeletons but there's a lot of ambiguity around their relationship I think if they weren't held by their titles and the way that nobility and royalty had to behave back then I think there is quite decent scope to say that they would have liked to be together. But we'll talk about that more in Ghosts and Skeletons. Dudley does a lot of changes as well to the castle. He creates a chase. Um, He encloses the park, the hunting park, which is like 800 acres. He creates Leicester's Gatehouse, aptly named. He creates a four-storey building known as Leicester's Building just for the Queen's use because she visits him four times during her reign at Kenilworth Castle. And so he creates a whole building for her, which, again, we'll talk about later, but is a really cool building and is still very much there he, today. He also added to the parks, didn't he? And then he created the uh, the Privy Garden, which is yes. for the Queen. Yes, and the Privy Garden, that is the first 
Privy Garden. It's the first time that we have gardens created like that that are special royal gardens. We have, there's some really interesting evidence they've actually recreated the gardens pretty much perfectly now because of some letters and evidence that they found from Robert Langham and from like excavation work and things like that. Uh, my favourite part of going round those gardens is when you get to the aviary, which has um, little designs in it, like RL and stuff, which is clearly Robert Lester and mm. stuff. And my favourite part of that visit was when you asked me if uh, the birds were the same birds Elizabeth would have seen. And uh, after a moment of me just staring at you, you went, no, 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 I, I meant like the same, the same breed she would have seen. And I just looked at you and said, no, you didn't. No, yes, that is did. not what you meant. Yes, I did. Because they've recreated it so that they've got all the same flowers that would have been there mm. and everything you'd have seen. And so, well, maybe they've gone the full for, way and they've got the same birds. For but. a split second, I was like, you know, birds don't live for five, six hundred years, Nick. <laughs> Thanks. So if we move on to the Civil War period now, the mm-hmm. first Civil War broke out in 1642. And we talked last week about the fact that Warwick Castle was a parliamentary stronghold Well, Kenilworth was a royalist stronghold. It was used quite a lot as a base for the royalists to then go and raid Midlands parliamentary strongholds. It was also used by Charles on his way to Edge Hill, which was in October 1642. Between the Battle of Edge Hill. Yeah, sorry, yeah. But after the Battle of Edge Hill, the royalist garrison wasn't really used anymore and the castle actually fell to parliamentary forces. They didn't like the amount of effort it took, though, basically. And in 1649... Parliament ordered the slighting of Kenilworth Castle. Yeah, and when you say slighting, you just mean destruction of... Because it's like the destruction of a building, in this case castle, for the sake of like political... For military. political reasons. Military reasons, yeah. yeah. So they didn't want... It's tactical. Yeah, it was very tactical. They purposefully destroyed uh, one wall of the Great Tower, various parts of the Bailey and the battlements, and... We know that they did this so that it couldn't be used by royalists. Yeah. After this destruction, Joseph Hawksworth, who was the guy in charge of destroying the castle, bought the castle and the estates um, on behalf of a load of parliamentary soldiers. And he looked after the castle, divided up the estates between his men and converted the gatehouse into his house. But besides that... The mere is drained, so that's got rid of, and castle's not really being used. It goes into sort of ruins at this period. There's not tons more to say. A couple of things worth possibly mentioning is that the ruins and sort of the castle grounds were very interesting to romantic visitors, as in the period of the romantic, not like particularly Mm. romantic people. Um, And so Walter Scott wrote a book that was published in 1821 called Kenilworth, and that's like a novel revolving around Queen Elizabeth and Robert Dudley. Yeah, and I mean, as is so often the case with a lot of the castles, the 20th and 21st centuries, we just see reconstruction. Victorians really liked history, so they started like repairing stuff. And then obviously in 2009, we had the... uh, Elizabethan garden yeah. be recreated. Now it's owned by English Heritage, yeah. who ha- are doing an excellent job of looking after it and creating some amazing exhibitions. It is, it is beautiful. And we'll get on to more yeah. about that at yeah. the end of the episode. And I think it just shows that um, 
you know, the further we go through, I think it just shows that the further we go through, um, you know, history, the more we get to the present day, these things do, the castles do stop becoming significant in, ter- significant in terms of how history is, is told and run by the people at the top and it becomes much more uh, open to people who are curious about that past that has happened. Absolutely, yeah. That's enough about the history of the castle. Is there any, you know, ghosts and skeletons, any any juicy gossip? As with Warwick, mm. Kenilworth does not disappoint for fun little tidbits and stories of interesting things that have happened over the years. So we talked about Edward II and I alluded to something possibly be worth talking about, but I wanted to save it for the ghosts and skeletons section. Edward II was famously deposed uh, by his wife with her lover, Roger Mortimer. Edward is taken into custody and it is actually in the Great Hall of Kenilworth Castle where he officially resigns as king. And um, Mm. so I thought that was quite interesting. Also, if we skip forward to Henry V, um, he stays at Kenilworth quite a lot and it is said there's a very famous moment in Shakespeare's Henry V, I believe, you'd know more about this than me, mm-hmm. where the Dauphin of France sends him a gift of tennis balls. And this is basically being like, you're a child. This is during the Hundred Years' War, of course, so France and England are at war, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, and the Dauphin of France sends Henry V a load of tennis balls basically saying like you're a kid keep out of this go play some games Kinda, it's just incendiary i think that's the main thing we can take from that moving into the tudor section which is where i know the most about the scandal one thing i wanted to mention which i'm not sure is really like a ghost and skeletons thing mm. but i want to talk about it because i really like it yeah We talked about Dudley creating a building, basically, for Elizabeth when she stayed. Now, what I think is really interesting... It's a beautiful building. ...is you have private apartments at the top, and then in the middle you have the sort of court where she would have seen to people, and people could have basically gone and hung out there if they want to petition the Queen at any point. They just sit there until she comes down. What I think is excellent is that there is a secret staircase going from the top level to the bottom so that if Elizabeth doesn't fancy seeing those people and knows that there's someone in there that wants to talk about something that she does not want to talk about she can actually avoid it so people will spend all day there being like oh I'm going to sit here and wait for the Queen to come down so I can talk to her and then she'd just see them and be like no and just walk around we all need an escape route now and again exactly exactly on the topic of Elizabeth's period we had some scandal worth talking about yes, with Dudley of Leicester and Elizabeth. And his wife. And his wife. Yeah. Because it is said that Dudley and Elizabeth were very close when they were young. Lots of people imply that she was actually pretty in love with him and she couldn't marry him because of duties as queen i mean she ends up not marrying anyone of course but it's quite a big subject isn't it really to unpack exactly but the court want her to marry someone foreign like mary did but there's also fears about marrying foreign princes because when you're a woman it makes sense for a king to marry a foreign princess to help with alliances but a queen if she marries does that instantly mean that she's no longer the top dog because I I read recently that queen is actually the word comes from it means wife of the king Mm. so if you marry someone and become that's why our that's why prince philip is prince philip rather than 
King Philip because king yeah. is technically higher than queen and yeah. this is in a really really sexist period this is a problem when um marriage discussions come back up again elizabeth avoids them for a lot of her time on the throne but when it does come back up again lester there's a sort of discussion of maybe lester's married elizabeth marries him off when she's sort of saying like no this isn't going to happen his wife dies by falling down the stairs. Very mysteriously. He's not there at the time, though. Is he not? No, I think he's in court and he goes home. Okay, but he could have still very easily yeah. had that done. But it also gets to that point where that actually puts the nail in the coffin of the possibility of even marrying him because Elizabeth can't marry someone who may have... It will look like she's had his wife killed so she can marry him. So yeah. she can't... That just rules yeah. it out now. But the fact that we have all of this scandal around them is very interesting. I mean, at some points, Elizabeth goes, I believe, for a three-week period at one point, which is she definitely visits Kenilworth for the longest during all of her travels around the country. And during this, Dudley has loads of experiences and lots of performances and paintings and all sorts of things for Elizabeth, of which there is a very strong theme of, I love you, please propose to me, because you can't propose to a queen the queen has to propose to you his wife's dead at this point right yes yeah. <laughs> and um he gives it a lot of goes but eventually gives up but um yes it's it's very clear that some this is definitely worth going into our ghosts and skeletons section there is something between them we will never know what no potentially that he just wants the throne but Maybe. You never know. We never know. That's quite cynical, isn't it? Yeah, it is cynical. I like to imagine that they're deeply in love. Is that because you've read stuff that's filtered down from the romantics that write later about Kenilworth? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> also worth noting is in 1279, the castle hosted a roundtable event. And oh. um, it was basically, they really liked the idea of Arthur and the roundtable and all of those myths and legends and... Uh, yeah, it was hosted at Kenilworth Castle. That is awesome. We all we all do love a good Arthur and the Round Table story. So that wraps up Ghosts and Skeletons, really. So we're moving on to now the importance, the influence, the uses, those last little bits that we like to talk about. And I feel like this section is going to gradually sort of disappear or change in some way because... I think we're going to keep seeing the same story in this part in that a lot of castles, they're very important for military at first. There's also an element of sort of uh, grandeur, like we talked about at Warwick last week. But then there's also a level of... They have their heyday. Yeah. I mean, we don't need castles anymore. The the no, royalty play yeah. a very different role in society today and that happens gradually. And so do the so do the, the nobility. Like it's Absolutely. not the same thing. Yeah. And we're not gonna talk about this every yeah. episode. There's a rise and fall of the influence and importance I think some of these places really have. And different counties and castles in different counties will have influence in different time periods. So it'll rise and fall slightly differently. But in mm. general I think the trend is is the same. The main way we can talk about this that will keep coming back up, that will actually get more interesting the more castles we do, is how important it is compared to other castles, particularly yeah. other castles in the area. Mm -hmm. Next episode of Podcastles is going to be lots of the little castles surrounding Warwick and Kenilworth. But, I mean... Do we want to have a go at saying, in comparison to Warwick, which is the only one we've done so far, what do we think? Because, you know... 
Oh, controversial. What do you think? Okay, here's my thoughts just off the top of my head, I'll be honest. Having talked about everything we've talked about, as much as I would love to include the scandal, you can't include the scandal as why it was important, really. But what you can include is the fact that the Gaunts are here... The Tudors actually like Kenilworth. Warwick goes into disrepair in that period, but I don't not think. Yeah, I don't think um, Elizabeth keeps up with many castles, does she? Well, okay, Elizabeth is complicated because Elizabeth. That's a half-remembered fact from a degree that finished yeah. three years ago. But Elizabeth likes to save money. She's really clever, and Which is she, why she does all the travelling. She travels to nobility's castles and stays with them because then the nobility has to pay for her court not her which is a very clever way of saving crown finances clever so here's how i see it really in comparison to warwick we don't have much else to compare to as i say this is going to get bigger than more castles we do but again like warwick we've got some massive names we've got the gaunt family we've got elizabeth really involved her favorite really at court owns this castle and the wars of the roses it's really important and the tudors really like it despite not looking after many castles so it's clearly very important even the civil war the royalists have it so it's clearly important yeah yeah exactly so it's clearly very very important so in comparison to warwick i mean warwick has some massive names that we talked about last week warwick the kingmaker you've got warwick the kingmaker who is controlling everything during Mm. the wars of the roses really but anjou Margaret of Anjou, the wife of Henry VI, who's on the opposing side for a lot of it, she's at Kenilworth Castle. So, I mean, I feel like it's kind of a draw. They've both got massive names. You've got people throughout the period, the big nobility names at Warwick, and you've also got big nobility names at Kenilworth. I mean, the Gaunts own it. That's massive. John is there. King John is there. They siege it. It's involved in the Wars of the Roses. The Tudors love it. Elizabeth gives it to her favourite courtier. She said it's equal. And and the, and now it's sounding Kenilworth. I'd go with Kenilworth, to be honest. I think there is like the, the rise of these castles is like what I was saying earlier. It rises at different mm. times. And I think Warwick had its heyday slightly earlier than Kenilworth did because That's you've got maybe I'm biased because most of the stuff that I like is the Tudors. This is what I was going to say. Are we going to pick Kenilworth because it's more important well, during the um, okay, Tudors, okay. which is the so period I'll, we like? I'll revise that because I also do like Henry V, but whatever. Um, I think it's almost like it goes Kenilworth, Warwick, Kenilworth in that in in mm-hmm. that idea because it's like you've got Kenilworth with um, the Richard II turnover and the Gaunt family owning it, and then you've got Richard. Neville, the Earl of Warwick, who becomes huge. And that is really important because although Margaret of Anjou is in Kenilworth, Warwick's a noble and Warwick manages to have all of that influence. And then it moves over back to Kenilworth. But then Kenilworth has also got Simon de Montfort's son and the siege there. So, yeah, okay, let's just go with Kenilworth. Yeah, and I would also say, remember, Kenilworth is created to counter the balance of Warwick Castle. So it's clearly expected to be on the same level, at least. So I think we can definitely 
At least say they're equal. Possibly we're saying Kenilworth. But I also think we like Kenilworth more. Mm. Let us know what you think. Yeah. We would love to hear from you. Give us your reasoning as well. Obviously, our opinion isn't the only one that counts. Let us know which one you think is more important from the two we've done so far. How can they do this? They can go to podcastlespodcast at gmail.com to email us. Or you can send us a note on www.podcastles.co.uk. Or you can just search podcastles on all the social media sites, pretty much. Yeah. And that, I guess, wraps up another episode. So thank you all for for listening. Um, We really appreciate it. So, uh, Georgia, I guess, how can we visit Kenilworth? Can we visit Kenilworth at the moment? We absolutely can visit Kenilworth Castle. It's open again. You can go to the English Heritage website for more information. And I think I need to take this moment to do a massive shout-out to English Heritage website, which provides not only so much information about the history, but also some amazing maps that really help you visualise the castle at different periods and also how the castle develops over time. It's amazing. We'll link to that in the show notes, which you can find on the blog. And so you should check that out. Particularly worth mentioning, actually, is um, they do an amazing bonfire night, which I've been to the last few years whilst I was at uni where the, the fireworks display is in, is over the top of Kenilworth Castle and it is stunning. I've tried to take pictures, we'll put some up on the blog, but they never do it justice. It's one of those things that you just have to be there. That'd be amazing. They also do um, really inclusive sort of experience days if you've got kids or if you just like that sort of thing, where they do jousts and they recreate stuff and you can go and watch um, Birds of Prey and they tell you all about like hunting in the period and it's amazing. Go to Kenilworth. I can't tell you everything so go to Kenilworth on English Heritage and get involved it's awesome and the food's good it is yeah it is really nice the coffee shop's great that's, that's the first thing we check out whenever we go to one yeah maybe we should have done the history of the castles via which one's got the best English Heritage coffee shop mm. just a note on visiting during Covid as of when we've recorded this episode you can visit Kenilworth um, you do need to book time slots in advance but as we say go to English Heritage uh, to check up on that and get involved we strongly recommend you visit this is definitely my favourite castle possibly yours as well Nick I, it's, I'm very fond of this castle but anyway that is about all we can say for Kenilworth Castle without this episode being six hours long which I feel it could easily be what is coming up on the next episode episode of podcasts nick well the next episode uh, if you can stay tuned is uh we're going to be looking at a selection of castles a chocolate box of castles if you the will the smaller castles the right? smaller castles in yeah. warwickshire yeah the smaller castles in warwickshire so we're going to look at several castles that are around the warwickshire area and their influence and their importance and all the scandals and ghosts and skeletons and i think you'll find that there are some good things to come up uh, just because they're small does not mean that there's uh uh, their their ghosts and skeletons are only smaller than than Warwick and Kenilworth. So. Excellent. Looking forward to it. See you next time, guys. See you.